So this is, a, this is the, the exciting conclusion to why being Jewish is the greatest, most fantastic thing that ever happened to you. And uh, what we're going to do today, what, what I uh, sort of selected as the, as the theme to focus on, the, the, the topic for tonight, if you will, is uh, making Hashem, making God your best friend. So, so hopefully that's a good topic. You know, I, I, I mentioned this to someone, and they said to me, and they're really a special person, and they said to me, um, now, why do I want God to be my best friend? And I thought, uh-oh, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> and I thought, why do you want God to be your best friend? I mean, I, how would you like to say, you know what I did the other day? I, I was hanging out with Steven Spielberg. It was great. We've gotten so close, you know? He took me to his house. He told me everything about himself. And then after that, you know what I was hanging out with? President Clinton. It's really amazing. We were discussing foreign policy. I was telling him how to fix the world. I mean, if any of that rings a bell, I mean, can you imagine hanging out with God, being best friends with God, you know, the, the master of the universe, the creator of all of history? You want to ask him a question? I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> it's a good thing to be best friends with God. And it's a gift that God is giving all of us because God is giving us 100% of his goodness 100% of the time. So let's begin at the beginning, which is the fact that, that Hashem loves us so much. And a lot of times we really have to develop, and it's, it, it's a real exercise, and, and sometimes it's work, but it's, it's so worth it, to develop eyes in order to see it and in order to appreciate it. And I just want to share two, two stories um, uh, that, that I think just illustrate uh, an, an aspect of of that great love. Uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with this, if you've had children, if you've, if you've done this with, uh, with your kids, if you've had, but uh, it's, it's a new thing I, I think a lot of people are doing it these days, which is in order to put your child to sleep when, when they're so pretty young, you put them in the back seat of your car, in the car seat, and you just drive and drive and drive. And you're not driving anywhere, you're just driving to put the child to sleep. And um, so, so we were doing, I was doing this uh, not too long ago, and, you know, where are you driving? You're just driving, you know? And all of a sudden it hit me after about 20 minutes of this that my son Moshe, who's in the back seat, he thinks I'm going someplace. And it hit me that he has no concept that this entire exercise is just for him. And I thought to myself, do you know what? God is driving the entire world. He's driving all of human history. He's driving everything. And why? Just for us. Just for us. This whole thing, it's just for us. And when we appreciate that, we just have some tiny, tiny, tiny level of appreciation of what God is doing for us every single second. Another story that, that uh, struck me also concerning my, my little boy, uh, which, was, which was when he was really, really young, his, his vision, uh, I, I think like most children, he, he couldn't see very far, just maybe like a couple of inches in front of him. And he was crying and he was crying because he was really hungry. He wanted to be fed. And... Uh, there I was, like, preparing a bottle for him, and he's crying and he's crying, and, and 
I'm preparing the Father exactly what He wants me to be doing. I am doing at that moment. And there, I get it just a few inches from His face, and He still doesn't see, and He's still crying. And then I put it in His mouth. Ah, and He's so happy. And I thought to myself, you know what? Oftentimes, God is preparing our salvation right in front of our eyes. Right in front of our eyes. And we don't have the eyes to see it. I have to tell you, these two stories make me incredibly happy. I don't know about you. (laughs) Developing eyes. We need good eyes. We need really good eyes to see. See, because when you understand that this is going on around us 24 hours a day, then you can just, if you just keep that in mind, if you just keep that in mind, that it's, I mean, how can you be, how can you be distant from God, basically? It's sort of like saying, you know what I'm really mad at? I'm really mad at air. <laughs> well, what are you talking about? You're breathing air all the time. It's all around you. Yeah, yeah, I just have this thing about air. Can't, can't stand it. What are you talking about? It's keeping you alive. It's surrounding you. Everywhere you go, you're inside of it. It's a tremendous thing. So with that in mind, I want to share uh, a Torah uh, of my Rebbe, Reb Shlomo Karloff. It says like this. There are two types of sins. He says there's retail sin and wholesale sin. Okay? So what's, what's retail sin? So this, this is something, relatively speaking, the smaller of the two. Okay? Retail sin is Friday night... What am I doing? You know, the whole world is making Shabbos. What am I doing? Friday night, I'm maybe eating some trace at a restaurant, and then afterwards, it's getting late, the clubs are opening, and then I'm going out dancing. Okay? So that's, that's a retail sin. What's a wholesale sin? Something like far, like far greater than that? A wholesale sin is this. Imagine you're standing at the hotel, the Holy Wall in Jerusalem, and you're davening, and you're reaching like such a level of closeness with God and then you turn away you know tell a cab you walk away you get onto a bus or whatever it is and you think to yourself okay back to reality time to get on with my life that's a whole self thinking for a moment that somehow you left God behind and now you're back into a world where God doesn't exist or something like that? That's a whole self. Now what's the antidote to that? So we have to go back to like the first the first Jew, all of our holy father, Abraham Avinu. And we have to go back to an episode that I think just really can give us just the fixing to to how to approach it all, how to access this level of God's omnipresence. You see, after Abraham was, was circumcised, and you know he was in his late 90s, and, and he, he, did it in, he did it himself. I mean, it was a tremendous ordeal, you can imagine. And he's sitting outside his tent in the burning, burning sun. And uh, it's the third day afterwards, which our sages teach us is, 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 is the day that, that the pain is the most intense. And all of a sudden, now you know that Abraham, like he was the master of hospitality, he had a tent with a door on all four sides, right? So it was open from every direction. 
And in the distance, he sees three strangers, and they're, they're Arabs. And just, you know, you know when it gets really hot? This is how I picture it. I just want to give you my, my if, if I'm filming this as a movie, you know when it gets really hot, and you, it's like, it becomes like waves, you know? It's almost like a ripple effect. I don't know how he saw it, but it was that level, the, the heat was of that level of intensity. And he sees these three strangers in the distance. And you should know, before that happened, God is visiting Abraham. And from this, from this we learn the, the mitzvah, the great mitzvah of visiting the sick, to emulate God, because God himself did this. And God is visiting Abraham to, to comfort him. And then all of a sudden, at that moment, Hashem for the first, Abraham for the first time sees the three strangers in the distance. And what does he do? He jumps up and he starts running toward them in order to offer them hospitality. So the question all the rabbis is a- are asking is, what's going on? Here God is in the middle of speaking with you? And you like jump up and you, you interrupt him? And, and you like are running after these strangers? So I heard something that, that really, it changed my life. It's what changed my life, you know? Heard it from Rabbi Grunin. said like this. He said, don't think for a moment, don't think for a moment that Abraham was interrupting God. Rather, he was deepening the conversation with God by applying it to the realm of the practical. Right? Say that last part again. He was continuing the conversation with God, only he was doing it in an even deeper way by doing kindness to his fellow man. So when we understand this, that life is basically a constant dialogue with God, that every action that I'm doing, I'm I'm carrying on a conversation with God. Every thought that I have, every word that I say, what a privilege, what an opportunity. There's no distance. There's no distance whatsoever. You know, we can emulate that level too. And let me just give you a few ideas toward, the, toward, toward, toward that attainment, right? I heard a story, which was that there was a, a Breslev Chesed who was in uh, Jerusalem. And when he died, everyone wanted to buy the burial plots that surrounded his grave. Because it was such a, it was, they considered it such a privilege to be buried near him. And what was his great merit? What did he do that people wanted to be so close to him? And the answer is that if he heard that there was an earthquake in China or something, he would cry. Why? Because he said, you know, there's nothing that I can do to help those Chinese people right now. I I just, it's too far. I I don't have the money, whatever it is. I, I can't do it. But you know what? If God revealed to me that there was suffering going on in the world, Obviously, there is something that I can do. I can cry and I can pray for them. And I realize that this is something that we can do. You know, when we walk down the street, when we drive our car, and we see someone who's sick or who never is, 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 is homeless, or, you know, we drive by these people all the time. Let me tell you something. If you think for a moment that the level of prayer that you have to be in when you pass one of these people on the street is any different whatsoever 
from the level of prayer that you experience while you're sitting in, in shul and you're, and you're in the middle of an organized prayer service, you're mistaken. You're absolutely mistaken. And when you hear a siren of a fire engine or a police car when you're walking down the street, that's a signal to you to pray that Hashem should send salvation, that Hashem should help His children. See, when you understand how close Hashem is and how connected we can be at every single moment, you get an insight into the nature of relationships. Now, I heard this from Rabbi Berger just recently, and I thought, I thought it was really interesting. He says like this, if you have two people in a relationship, right, and one of them wants to, like, one of them loves you the most and wants to give to you constantly, right, and the other one is kind of like lukewarm, right, what is the nature of that relationship in terms of, like, the practical aspect? It's a lukewarm relationship. Because if the other person isn't returning the other person's calls, right, there, there's like a breakdown. And, and so, so basically what's going on is, is that is that a relationship is determined by the person who's least interested, less interested, right? Because if this person loves you the most, and this person is just like, likes you the most, <laughs> then it's a like relationship, okay? But if this person loves you the most, and this person loves you the most, ah, then, there's, then, then it's beautiful, back and forth, right? So hopefully you've all made the connection what I'm talking about. Hashem is loving us the most. He's loving us the most 24 hours, 8 days a week, right? And the question is, where are we holding, right? I mean, the insight that I'm offering you is that we determine the nature of our relationship with Hashem. It's up to us. To the extent that we want to be close, we're close. To the extent that we want to be distant, and I would discourage that at this moment. <laughs> We're distant, you know? And to the extent that we want to be close, like right now, we're close right now. You know? A lot of us just really don't understand how instantaneous it really is. We think to ourselves, I, you know, right now I want to get close to Hashem, but you know something? It's like, i got to fill out so many forms. <laughs> And I got to make so many calls, and I don't even know the numbers. I've got to call places in order to get the numbers, and I know they don't know the numbers. They're going to send me to another place to get the numbers. Hey, I don't have the strength. And you know, you just kind of put it off and forget about it. It's not the case. Hashem is not the electric company. <laughs> really, honestly, you think I'm joking? I'm not joking. It's like instant. It's instant. I want to be close to God. God is like, okay, we're in business. Where should we start? You want to see a sunset? Okay, it's nighttime. How about a full moon? Okay, just look out your window. Let's start right now. That's the way it is, and we have to appreciate that. Okay. All right, so now, now continuing this vein, I'm going to tell you a great secret. It's something that I heard from, from Rabbi Green at Birkat uh, Torah in Jerusalem. It said like this. This is the secret to loving, by the way. So, so how do you begin to love someone? How do you make that happen? We make a big mistake in life. We think, we imagine in relationships, the more someone does for me, 
the more I'm going to love them. Right? I think consciously or unconsciously, and it's no crime, but I think all of us think that pretty much. But you know the truth is exactly the opposite. The truth is that the more you do for someone else, the more you come to love them, the more you invest of yourself in that relationship, the deeper a tie you have for that person or for that cause or for God himself. And if you think back to yourself, you know something? Wait a second, I don't know if that's true because I remember when I was in this this uh, love affair and the time that I loved that party the most, they were doing the most for me. But you know what the truth is? You know the part that everyone forgets? At that moment, you were also doing the most for them. Because both were you reciprocating. And if you ever want to jumpstart a relationship, you know what the secret is? Start doing for that person. Other people were like, are like, you know something, I want us to be so much closer. Why do something really nice for me? <laughs> Surprise me. You know what the truth is? You want to jumpstart a relationship? You want to feel that feeling of tremendous love again for that person? Do something for them. And then it feels so good. You know what? You're going to want to do another thing and another thing. And that's where it's at with us and God. That he's there and he's waiting moment for moment for us to sort of like step up. And he's just waiting. He's just waiting for us to make a positive act. Like coming to a, a class or, or maybe just doing something, just opening our heart in some, in some special way and doing something that means something to us. So the question is, how do you begin? That's already, that's already a lot of the beginning right there. That's a lot of the beginning right there. As I tell you, I was at a, a wedding on Sunday, and there's a holy custom. I don't, I don't know if you're all familiar with it, which is that the, in, a, in a Jewish traditional wedding, the, the groom, the husband, is, is standing under the chuppah, and the kala, the, the, the bride, is, is walking around him in the beginning seven times, right? And there are just volumes and volumes uh, that can be said about the meaning of this, of, of this tradition. But I just want to share one, one thought and, and connect it to, to what we're speaking about right now. You know, when, when the Jews were, were attacking uh, uh, the city of Jericho, when we were entering the land of Israel, what did we do? We circled the walls of the city seven times. And then what happened? All the walls came down. Right? So you know what's happening under, under the canopy? The bride is circling the groom seven times. And hopefully, 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 all of the walls that existed between them are falling down. So, you know, the first thing that we have to do when it comes to reconnecting with God is first we have to get rid of all the walls that separate us. That's job one. It's my bad corporate executive impersonation. <laughs> 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 now you know why I don't work for General Motors. 
<laughs> okay. And we have to talk to Hashem. You know, you think you're crazy, you know? What do you mean, talk to Hashem? Well, I can't do it. So listen, I want to tell you something uh, that Rabbi Nachman says, which is just, just the best, I think. This, this I read years and years ago, and it just always comes back to me, which is this. He says, you know, he was so big on talking to Hashem. Like, okay, here's the thing. Let's just step back a second. Why are we talking to Hashem? Why do we absolutely have to talk to Hashem? And I'm not just talking about when we enter into a synagogue and we open our prayer book and we read what's printed on the page. I'm talking about walking down the street and saying, thank you, or just, what, just you know, whatever it is. I mean, blessings are supposed to do this for us. Right? That's supposed to... But you know something? I, I find that blessings become so formulaic and I become... And maybe this is my problem. I become so sort of like alienated from the from from the what a blessing was supposed to do, even though, you know, of course I, I try to say them always, that I've taken on a new thing in it and it's really... It, it's given me a lot of strength, which is, you know, I'll go to Starbucks or something like that, drink a good coffee, say the after blessing, and then I'll say, thank you, God, for that coffee. That, that was a really good cup of coffee. Thank you. So you think it's funny, but I think that what, I think hopefully what you all experience a little bit just hearing that is that when you relate to God moment to moment, when you make God a reality, a concrete presence in your life, it breaks down all of the walls. Can you imagine if like here I am, you know, I'm, I'm married for, uh, how old am I? I'm, I'm 34. I'm married for 34 years and Oh, we have the closest relationship. Do you ever talk to your wife? No, no, never mention anything to her. Live in the same house? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You never talked to her once? No, just no, 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 just never came up. You never came up? But you're very close, aren't you? Like this. That's how it is with us and God. Can it be that you're not saying... Anything to, can it be that you're not talking to God? I mean, how crazy is that? So Rabbi Nachman compares it to a, to a general, like this mighty warrior who, like, like scales this incredibly uh, protected wall, makes it over somehow, who knows how, makes it over, and then gets to the entrance of the place that he wants to go, and there's a spider web covering the entrance, and he goes, oh, I see it's not going to work out. <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? But that's what we do. That's what we do. I mean, when we get ready to pray, when we, when we start to open up a little bit, and we want to connect to God, that already, that desire to connect, you can't even believe how many oceans that you've just swam, just to have that feeling in your heart. And then not to take the next step of just, high is a big thing to say to God. How are you? <laughs> just to get things started. Thank you. I'm breathing. That's a plus. Thank you. You can start anywhere. You know, I, it's funny. I, you know, they say that uh, it, talking to yourself is, is, I heard this once, not from a Jewish source, Jewish source but talking to yourself is a, is a sign of intelligence, they said. But it's, 
it's when you answer yourself that you have to start worrying. <laughs> anyway, that aside, I just, as a humorous anecdote, let me just offer to you, I remember just going over something in my head and uh, was walking down Broadway not too long ago when I was talking. And then saw someone approaching from this side and of course stopped and put on my I'm not crazy face. <laughs> and I noticed just at that moment, the person who was crossing me was also talking to themselves, and they just stopped and put on their I'm not crazy face. <laughs> and I'm sure as soon as we passed each other, he went back to his thing and I went back to my thing, you know? So, but it's so important. You can't even imagine. You, can't, you know what distinguishes us from everything in creation, from all the animals? The fact that we can talk. Really. That's not just a, a casual observation. That's what our holy sages say. Our power of speech just makes us unique in all the world. God gave that to us. And if we don't use that to access our relationship with him, we absolutely are not, you know, using that most special gift, that most special tool in order to connect, you know? You know, I, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the, the uh, sort of the, the prayer service in, in, in the sitter, in but part of the morning services, there, there's like 13 blessings that we say. And it's, it's everything from thank you, God, for allowing me to, to stand up, and thank you, God, for my clothes, and things like this. Um, and the truth is, that originally, the way we were supposed to do it, the, the, the way the, the kind of the sages had it in mind when they instituted it, was that we would get out of bed, and we would stand up, and we would say the blessing on the spot. You know, Thank you, God, for allowing me to stand upright. And then when we got dressed, we put on our pants, we put on our shirt, we were supposed to say at that moment, you know, Thank you, God, for clothing me. We were supposed to say it on the spot. In other words, but, you know, people were getting busy and they were distracted and everything like that and it wasn't happening. So they just sort of instituted kind of like a checklist and you say it in the morning and, and you're covered. But the, but the insight that's being offered here is that the ideal mode, the ideal way that we're supposed to exist in terms of relating to God and in terms of talking to God is a very spontaneous, on-the-spot kind of thing. And that goes for, by the way, when we do something, you know, a little bit not so holy. You know, some of us have this um, habit, maybe most of us, and it's a, it's a habit we have to break right now, you know, which is that, I, I just did something, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Yeah, i got to remember that come Yom Kippur time. <laughs> it's like, let me ask you something. If you, if you had a Michelangelo sculpture, in your home, your own Michelangelo sculpture in your home, and someone was playing with it, right, and broke the head off the sculpture, would you say, oh yeah, you know, in another five months, I've got to get that fixed? Like, not in a million years, right? You would stop everything and get it fixed right away. Well, don't you realize that our souls are infinitely, infinitely, infinitely more precious than, than a sculpture? than a painting? How can we afford to wait? If there's anything that needs repair, if there any, is there anything that needs to happen? Just 
on the spot, on the spot repair, you know? Pick up the phone. Hey, what? I don't know what I was thinking, you know, today over lunch. I'm really sorry. Oh, everything's okay? Great. Because, you know, the last thing I want to do is hurt you. Or if we, you know, maybe eat the wrong food or, or whatever it is or, you know, forget a mitzvah for a moment. God, I'm sorry. I just want to say right now I did that and I don't know what I was thinking and I'm going to try my best not to do it again. I'm really sorry. Just on the spot. On the spot. Constant dialogue. God is right there. No walls. No walls. No barriers. Another thing that we have to keep in mind is that we, we have to, you know, when I got married, um, again, my Rebbe, Reb Shlomo, said to me, he he said, listen, I want, you to, I want you to remember something. He said, never stop asking. Okay? You know, some of us, have you ever heard this? A lot of people do this. I personally I can't understand it, which is, are you, are, you, are you praying? God is very busy. He's, he's too busy for me. I don't want to bother him. This is a, a thoroughly unjewish approach. <laughs> Just, just in case you're wondering, this is not our tradition whatsoever. The idea that God is too busy, God is infinite. If you think that God is too busy for a moment, you haven't got the, 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 the slightest concept of his greatness. He's available. He's available. So what does it mean, never stop asking? So listen to this. When, um, when the, if you remember the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you know, the snake plays a role, and everyone, you know, it's, a, it's an unfortunate instance. And, and how does God punish the snake? He says, from now on, you're going to crawl on your belly, and you're going to eat dirt. Right? So if you think about this, like, the rabbis ask a big question, which is, do you know what's available absolutely everywhere in the entire world? Dirt. Which means that basically, you're, how are you punishing the snake? I'm blessing you, you should be a trillionaire. <laughs> right? Because where, wherever he goes, he has exactly what he needs to eat. And incidentally, this is a total aside, which kind of just an interesting point might be interesting, which is that um, it says in, in, the, in the Gomorrah, in, in, in Brachas, that there, there's sort of a list of certain things that if, if we see these things in a dream, and the Gomorrah gives us, you know, what these things stand for. If you see a snake... It's a blessing for livelihood. And probably, and if the snake bites you, it's double livelihood. Okay? So, interesting, interesting. But anyway, I think, again, it goes back toward this concept that, that because everywhere it went, it had whatever it needed to eat, that it, it, it was constantly nourished. So let's get back to the question. What is, what is the curse? And you know what the answer is? that it has everything that it needs, that it feels self-sufficient, that it doesn't have to ask God for anything. See? You know, we can be, you know, we can be like in good health and have friends and, and relationships and children and a, a livelihood and a nice house and everything like that. You know something? If you're in that situation, and you stop asking, you're no different from the snake. Right? So never stop asking. 
God doesn't, for a moment, imagine you to be ungrateful. The opposite. Especially if you're doing it with this intention, to have a constant closeness with him. So that's another, that's another thing. Never stop asking. And another thing, and we're getting toward the end here, we have to wrap it up, is, is we have to understand that everything, everything is for the good. And it's so confusing, and this is, this is a topic of, like, infinite length in itself, but bad things happen. How am I supposed to understand that? You tell me that God is so good, but yet I'm so heartbroken about whatever it is. Or I see this tragedy. And they exist. They exist. So, uh, you know, it would be foolish of me to, to suggest to you that I'm going to give you the quintessential answer to this. But I do want to give you one thought because it, it's meaningful and it can... It's just a good thing to keep in mind because because God is good and you know you can forget everything in the world but don't forget that um, so Reb Shono said it to me like this he said can you imagine you're looking through the peephole like a little keyhole into a room and there you see someone is raising a knife over someone else and you think there's a murder about to take place. But what's the reality? Behind the door, it's an operating room. And surgery is taking place that's going to save that person's life. You see, we don't have the full picture in front of us. It's frustrating and it's difficult and it's incredibly painful. We don't have the eyes to see all the time. We don't. But nonetheless, every, everything that's happening, if we had the full picture, we'd see so much how much it is for the good. You know, there's a, there's a beautiful uh, marshal, a beautiful example that's given that, uh, that's along these lines, which is, if you look at a tapestry, on the one side, it's, it's like there's so much work that went into it, and it's so intricate, and it's so perfect, and it's beautiful. But if you were to turn it over, I mean, it's such a mishmash. I mean, it's, even, it's ugly, and it's confusing, and you can't even imagine what it is. Oftentimes, that's what life looks like to us, right? But the truth is that if we only had the right eyes, and, you know, one day, one day, we'll be able to look at it, and we'll see how every stitch, every single event was exactly in the right time, exactly in the right degree, and it was so perfect, and it was so beautiful. So I'll tell you another quick little thing. Uh, I had a friend, and he was supposed to drop off something by the house, and really needed it. And, you know, clock was ticking, and it was almost Shabbos, and one Shabbos candle was going to be too late, and I looked out the window, and it wasn't there, and I thought, he let me down. I, you know, okay, whatever it is, it just, he let me down. I thought to myself, you know something, I've got to just try to give him the benefit of the doubt. Anyway, uh, the next day I went down, and exactly what I needed was right there. It just happened to be that from the angle, from my window looking down, I couldn't see it. 
so is there all the time, right? So what am I saying here? That so, so often we work on giving each other the benefit of the doubt. And it's a, it's a very holy trait. How about giving God the benefit of the doubt? doesn't mean that you shouldn't doubt. It doesn't mean that you don't have to be real. If there's a problem that's there, you don't have to pretend that it's not there. It's there. It's there. I don't understand it. But how about giving God the benefit of the doubt? How about thinking, you know something? There's probably a reason for this. And you know what? There is a reason for it. And you know what? In the end, it's going to be so beautiful when we have the eyes to see. I want to share something else with you. Along continuing with the, just the, the imagery, the idea of, of the, the strands of the tapestry, looking at it backwards, with it all twisted together and everything like that. So I think many of you know that, that after Shabbos, we take a Hadalah candle, and all the, the threads are, are, are twisted together. And then there's a light on top, right? So it's this, I realized that, that it's a beautiful teaching that we're starting the week with, which is that we, we make Havdalah at night when it's still dark outside, when it's dark outside. And it's like, at the beginning of the week, we have to have in mind, we have to realize that, you know something? Events are going to happen and things are going to be twisted together and I'm not going to understand it so well, right? But what do I have to keep in mind? That there's a single light behind it. That God is, is like, you know, shining, shining behind all the strands, on top of all the strands, guiding all these things. And what's the, continuing with this thought, what happens on Shabbos? We light two individual candles, right? Because on Shabbos, God gives us special eyes to see what it is that happened during the whole week. He gives us special distance. And so, two separate candles. Everything becomes unraveled and untwisted. And it's like clear. And of course, you know something, when we light the Shabbos candles, it's still a little bit light outside, right? And that daylight reflects the clarity that God gives us. So I'm going to wrap it up. just want to say that it was, uh, for me, it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful experience being able to share these thoughts with you over the past, I guess, month. And I see some new faces. I see some old faces. When it, Again, thank all the people who, who came for the first time and, and uh, especially all the people who, who came back. And I just want to leave you with, uh, with a few words. One of them is, is, you know, don't be scared. A lot of us, we, we start out on this spiritual journey and, and it's like we, we can't even imagine where it's leading to and it terrifies us. It terrifies us that that we're going to become different people, or I don't, I don't know what exactly goes through our head, but, but we're frightened, and, and it stops us often from taking the next step. And I just want to say to you that, you know something? Don't, don't be afraid to, to, to be a little bit holy. It's the whole essence of Judaism, that what, makes, what distinguishes Judaism from the, all the other religions of the world is that, is that you can be a real functioning member of society, and you can be sanctifying everything around you. Don't think for a moment that if you want to take on more, that somehow that that means that you're going to be alienated from the world or that you're going to erect barriers between you and other people. It's not true. It's not true. 
And if it is, it's temporary and it's small and it will pass. And I want to leave you just with, uh, with a few words of strength, maybe. Just a sense of maybe something to fuel you. Which is that something that I heard from Shlomo. The whole world, the whole world is waiting for us Jews to be Jews. The whole world. And you know what else? We're going to live forever. We can't forget that. Our souls are eternal. But you know what the catch is? Is that after we leave this world, we can't grow anymore. This is like the big, this is like the big furnishing expedition of our eternal spot. <laughs> you know, every time you do something like holy and good and everything like that, that's like, you know, another Picasso that you just like put on your wall or another waterfall or like another like tremendous, you know, sunset. Every time, and, and that's yours forever, right? You know, it says that every, every Jew has a, a portion of the world to come. It's true. The question is, what kind of portion though? That's for us to determine. We get to do this. And it's a tremendous privilege. So I'll end on this thought, which is something I heard from uh, Rabbi Gerfine in Jerusalem. Which is, are people familiar with um, that, that game, uh, Supermarket Sweep? Is that right? So that's, that's this world. You know, just for those of you who don't know the game, you're given like a, a, a shopping basket and they turn you loose in the supermarket and you've got like one minute to like pile as many things as possible into this thing and then like to get to the checkout counter. Now, can you imagine like you, you like go to the aisle and it's like, let's see, should it be like diet Snapple? Like the, the raspberry, I, just, I, I don't know, did it, was it the raspberry I liked or the peach? It's like the clock is ticking, what are you doing? What are you, you're crazy, you know? So that's this life, that's this world. We have, believe me, I mean, it's, it's really hard to remember. I forget it all the time. But we should all live to 120. It's like this. Compared to, like, eternity, it's like, it, it's one minute, okay? And the clock is ticking. And what we have to do right now is just, just do all of the goodness that we can possibly do. All of the mitzvahs, all of the closeness with God, just everything, everything, everything. Just pile it in and not stop. And know that ultimately, we're the beneficiaries of it. And at the same time, it's giving Hashem so much pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.